Chapter Eight of The Quiet Flame by Eva K. Betts. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Maria Therese. Changes. The unremitting work in Branch Hospital and in the Capiolani home was telling on some of the sisters. Mother Mary Ann never demanded the impossible from anyone but herself, so she was always on the lookout for opportunities to give the sisters a little treat. There are errands in town she said to sister leopoldina one morning sister charles will drive you in and you are not to come straight back when you've completed your business not to come straight back mother that is what i said mother made her voice quite stern but her eyes had their delightful twinkle i've given sister charles the same instructions now get on your way the two nuns were like schoolgirls in their pleasure it was a perfect day a pleasantly warm sun was tempered by a soft breeze from the water a breeze which gently swayed tall trees and sent little shadows of blossoms drifted down at intervals one of these flowers fell on old charlie's ear and caused him to twitch it but other than that small gesture he trotted along like an automaton like a horse in his sleep from his well-shaped head and good ankles you could see that he was a horse of fine breeding and that gave sister charles a good deal of satisfaction in her girlhood she had driven her father's horses he always had the best she would explain so even though she was frail and far from well it was a joy to have reins in her hands again it makes some kind of bond between us she commented a good horse like charlie can sense what his driver wants almost without any weight on the reins charlie's stolidity when he stood while sister did her errands his super decorum when they started for their pleasure drive gave no particular indication of this bond nor, on the other hand, did he give indications of other facets of his nature. He was just a somewhat utterly hoarse, doing what he was supposed to do. They drove down King Street, past comfortable houses with well-tended gardens, and on toward the park. Tall palms climbed straight and then erupted into a crown of greenery. Beds of brilliant flowers shouted for attention, and even bushy clumps were bright with multicolored leaves. The two nuns drank in all the beauty. Suddenly Charlie's head came up and his ears pricked forward. He was jarred out of his contemplation by the sight of a horse ahead of him. Ahead! Time was when no horse went ahead of Charlie, when he had been king of the road. Well, he'd show this pretender a thing or two. He trotted faster, but did not overtake the light carriage. He went faster, then faster, his ears laid back and his body straining. I can't slow him down gasped sister charles her knuckles white as she tugged on the reins he has the bit between his teeth don't try to slow him this is exciting sister leopoldina was enjoying every minute it won't be so exciting if a trace snaps or a wheel flies off said sister charles we'll both be thrown out and killed charlie was going all out now his legs moved like pistons the carriage rocked and swayed crashing into stones and dipping into holes bit by bit he overhauled the other horse, who didn't know it was a race. Having passed him satisfactorily, Charlie stopped, snorted, shook himself, then settled down to his usual dignified pace. "'We'll go home now,' said Sister Charles. "'Oh, must we? That was a lovely ride.' "'I couldn't live through it if Charlie tried that trick again.' Sister Leopoldina was distressed to see that her companion was pale, almost blue, but, she assured herself, no permanent harm had been done, and it had been a thrill. 
on an outing which could not be repeated very often as the workload increased. When the girls in the Capiolani home learned a little, they were then ready to learn more, and more time must be devoted to them. The number of patients in Branch Hospital grew, too. Time became steadily more precious, more packed with work. In the meantime, work on the Bishop home on Molokai was progressing, and Mother Mary Ann was winding up her duties in Honolulu and Maui. But in the spring of 1888, an event occurred that distracted her from all other activities. Mr. Gibson, Prime Minister in Honolulu, was deeply interested in the leper patients, and had always done all he could to help both Father Damien and Mother Mary Ann. This infuriated the few but powerful anti-Catholic bigots in the islands. He was close friends as well as adviser to the king and queen, which angered political hopefuls. By the plotting of these haters, Mr. Gibson was removed from office. In fact, so much feeling had been aroused against him that the mob wanted to lynch him. He had been sent into exile where he was to die. Our loss is great, Mother Mary Ann wrote. It seemed that nothing gave him pleasure but to serve and wait on us. But despite the irreparable loss, work had to go on. Mother Mary Ann made a last visit to Maui to see how the work there was progressing. She visited Molokai and found the buildings almost finished. Each trip was made during particularly savage storms, added burdens for poor Mother, who was never a sailor. In fact, by now, so conditioned was she to suffering on the ocean, the very sight of a ship made her queasy. At five in the afternoon of Tuesday, November 13, 1888, Mother and two sisters went aboard the Little Liowa, which was to take them to Molokai. The small ship also carried some men patients and about twenty girls and women. There was no moon that night, and the far-off stars sent down little light. Even that small glow was often obscured by scurrying clouds or bits of spume lifted from the tossing waves by a prankish wind. The patients were all below in a damp, stuffy cabin, but mother and her sisters remained on deck. Rain had begun to fall, but even that was preferable to going inside. Mother thought of the work ahead and of her co-workers. Sister Leopoldina had been in the islands almost as long as mother herself, but little sister Vincent was a newcomer, a replacement for Sister Charles, who had been sent back to Syracuse in an effort to build up her health. Of her own health, Mother did not think, although that very morning she had had a spell of faintness and had been near collapse. The ship struggled on. One of the officers came out to suggest that Mother might like to rest in the captain's cabin, but since there was not accommodation for all the sisters, she refused. The rain stopped, but the wind grew even more riotous. Just before dawn, the officer came again. See, Mother, can you see that red light on the horizon over there? He asked. That is the light on the wharf at Kalawapapa, our landing place. Mother Mary Ann and the sisters strained their eyes. At length they saw it. It seemed like a sanctuary lamp glowing in front of the place where they were going to offer up their lives to Christ through service to sufferers. The island of Molokai was long and curving and beautiful. It was lush with tropical greenery and brilliant with flowers. All, that is, except for a stubby peninsula sticking out like a thumb from the northern coast. This neck of land was cut off by tall cliffs. The Polly, which stood sentry between the main part of the island, and it was the thumb which held the leper colony. That colony had changed tremendously during Father Damien's years of guidance. His first home had been under the roots of a great pandanus tree. The lepers, living in shacks they had cobbled up themselves, had had no care except what they gave each other. 
There was no law and little order on the island then, and the children were without discipline or schooling. But now father had a little house in Kalawao, near his church. Small houses for the lepers had been built, and activities for them to pursue had been introduced. The settlement at the landing, Kalawapapa, now had a home for girls, and Mother Mary Ann would soon be in charge. It was really for work in Molokai that she and the sisters had left Syracuse. Now, after five years in the islands, they were reaching their destination. The sun was rising and dancing rainbows curtained Kalawapapa. Waves battered against gray boulders on the shoreline, and then rose in a spray which caught and fractured the light rays, and returned them to delighted eyes and iris colors. The little ship had not much farther to go. By the time it reached the wharf, all traces of the night storm were gone. They sailed in over calm waters. As they neared the shore, they saw great white slashes down the sides of the poly, and learned that these were mighty cataracts seeking the sea. And on those cliffs ancient trees grew, and bushes, and vines, and flowers. When the nuns went ashore, however, welcomed by women who had been at the branch hospital earlier, they found things quite different. There was no trees, nor vines, nor bushes, where the convent stood, nor had water been piped in. It was bleak, sun-baked, and dreary. But Mother Mary Ann smiled at the patients clustering around her. She praised the little convent, and seemed at home. Because of her contentment, it was easy for the sisters to feel contented, too. Poor Father Damien came to welcome them. Their coming was an answer to years of hopeful prayers. To be chaplain to them, he assigned an assistant, Father Wendelin Moeller. The buildings in Mother's charge were new and clean, but she was more and more aware that their immediate surroundings were dismal. True, one could look at the waterfall-trimmed Polly, at the ever-changing ocean, with its blue and green and gray waters. The crashing breakers on the beach brought movement and interest to the eyes, but in the grounds of the home there was bleakness. With Mother Mary Ann, to see a need was to plan action, and a plan was useless unless it was put into operation. With many of the people in the colony, of course, labor was out of the question. The awful disease from which they suffered first crippled and then ate away hands and feet. But all the girls at Bishop Home were encouraged to go to the woods and take flowers and small bushes for gardens near the home. It was a project which delighted the beauty-loving Hawaiians, and the plantings, so tenderly were they handled, took hold and grew and flourished. In January, Father Damien came to invite Mother Mary Ann and the sisters to see his new church. The little wooden one, which had been there when he arrived, was now too small for his flock, and he had a new one, one which he had helped to build with his own diseased, disfigured hands. He himself could not see it very well, for his leprosy progressed, his sight went. But so much love had gone into the building of the church that he was sure it must be beautiful. Damien Road, which connected the nun's place at Kalawapapa with the men's settlement at Kalawao, was called a road mainly because it was used as a passage between the two places. Afoot or on horseback, it was not too bad, because then the stones and holes along it could be bypassed. The heavy, springless wagon in which the nuns were conveyed seemed to have been especially designed for the road. Its width was such that it was impossible to avoid jolting over every rock, to miss the bone-shattering downs into every pothole. I, I'm beginning to remember what seasickness feels like, gulped Sister Leopoldina, when they had been swaying and bouncing for a while. Mother Mary Ann looked at her with pity. I hope not, my dear, she said. I certainly hope not. 
fortunately the trip was finished without any upset and all discomfort was forgotten in the joy and warmth of their welcome father damien in particular was happy he was eager that mother mary ann should go at once to see the site for the home for boys to be given by a mr baldwin when i think that my poor afflicted children will have a mother's care i am happy indeed he said they have been so neglected i couldn't fill a mother's place water piped down from the mountain was free-flowing here grass was green and flowers and vegetable gardens flourished the sisters looked about them enchanted they saw evidence of what their own grounds would look like after time and care had been expended on them mother mary ann had shuddered inwardly a little when father damien spoke of her taking charge of the boys and men resentful unruly groups among them would offer problems she knew problems even greater than those she had already faced at the branch hospital fear of exile to molokai could sometimes be used to obtain and to keep order but these people were already in molokai and would be there for the rest of their lives she determined to face the problem only when it arrived and accepted mr dutton's invitation to walk around to see some of the buildings as she left sister leopoldina and veronica with father damien she surreptitiously shook a warning finger at them and pursed her lips the sisters nodded their recognition of the signals before leaving the convent mother had issued an order and a warning when we are calling on father damien sisters remember that you must refuse to partake of any refreshment if it is offered she paused for a moment to let the injunction sink in the wonderful man has been here for more than fifteen years she said from the very beginning he has lived closely with and been one of his people that is how he first won their love and confidence but that very devotion has its dangers and he is often far from wise i fear so you will take no food mother mary ann was hardly gone when father damien turned happily to his guests now sisters he said you will have lunch i have had a clean woman prepare a nice little meal for you come along what should they do each sister hoped the other would speak the silence was awful father i am sorry sister leopoldina had got up her courage mother has forbidden us the priest's bent shoulders drooped even farther that's too bad he said the poor woman tried very hard after a short silence head bowed he turned his kind diseased disfigured face toward them you can't refuse me this favor and you don't want to disappoint the poor woman i know he said i'll make it all right with mother their hearts went out to this man after a long grim martyrdom he was soon to die and they could not bring themselves to deny him this pleasure so they followed him into his dining-room where quite evidently things had been carefully made ready to receive them green shades were drawn against the sun but a cool breeze moved them causing shadows to dance on the sparkling white cloth covering the little table but the nuns somehow could not enjoy the boiled eggs and freshly baked bread the meat and good coffee on the way back to Papa, the nuns confessed their disobedience to mother for a few moments she made no comment at all i had to give an order she said at last and you disobeyed it you must decide what to do about that as to the danger you play with well that is done now mother he had a special woman in to cook the meal not a leper we couldn't disappoint them charity is a fine thing i agree but sisters the whole house is full of leprosy the dishes the silver the linen and who handled the food before it was prepared 
have you any way of knowing that the nuns were distressed but perhaps mother mary ann was even more upset than they when the next day crippled tortured father damien called on her he flung himself on his knees and begged her pardon it was he he assured her who was completely to blame for her sister's disobedience would she please scold him begged the great but simple man she must give him some penance one thing mother marianne had not foreseen as happening in malachi was having the world-renowned father damien kneeling penitent at her feet End of chapter eight